necessary prayer. Lord God, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. For Jesus Christ, Amen. Our Old Testament lesson today comes to us from the book of Exodus, reading from chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. This is for God's special word to you. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came here, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put, it, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with God. Our New Testament lesson today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, reading from verses 9, or chapter 9, verses 28 to 43. And I'll preface this by saying that just before these verses I'm going to read, Jesus had told his disciples that some of them would not taste death until they had seen the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, Two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. 
from the mountain, and a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I beg your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him in the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the Lord and gave it back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But, the, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, That's the end of the verse. <laughs> That's where it is. <laughs> Thanks. These, these are the words of God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> My husband and I were actually laughing this morning about how that verse ends. Sometimes the, the way that the verses are broken up in the English translations gets really weird. And you get things like, you know, it feels like it should end it. And they were astonished at the majesty of God. And it goes on, and then the neck, the verse ends that Jesus said to his disciples, comma. <laughs> and then when you, if you have a copy of the sermon with you and you look at it, it just all flows in together. It says, and Jesus said to his disciples, and then there's the sermon title, Take Off Your Sunglasses. So we got a, got a big kick out of that this morning as we were looking at that. So anyway, but it is indeed the word, the word of God, no matter where we start or stop in the middle of this story. And let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Imagine being one of the people waiting at the camp at the bottom of the mountain for Moses to come back from his meeting with God to get the tablets of the law. Here is your mighty leader who's been hanging out in God's presence on top of a mountain. And when he gets back, it has been so powerful to be in the presence of God that his whole face is glowing bright. I can imagine that would have been a little bit freaky. Poor Moses had to put a veil over his face to keep from frightening the people because he'd been so changed. How great must God's glory be that just being around God's presence like Moses was changed his very face. Sometimes we call trips like the one that, that Tom and Martha and I are about to embark on mountaintop experiences. Because when we are taken out of our normal life, we are often more attuned to hearing God, to experiencing God. So we come back all changed from hearing from God, just like Moses had. But what if when we got back in a few weeks, we were all literally glowing because we had had such a powerful encounter with God. I have a feeling that more than a few of you would be a little bit unsettled by that. And I'm sure that most of us, the glowing ones included, would have trouble figuring out what to do next. In the Gospels, we read that a few of the disciples got a chance to see the powerful glory of God. Peter, James, and John, the closest inner circle of followers, 
Not only do they see the full glory of God shining in Jesus that day, they see a glimpse of eternity. They see these two powerful prophets who have gone before them, shining in the light of God and talking with Jesus. They are confronted with the glory of God on the top of a mountain. So naturally, Peter goes into planning mode. What else do you do in that situation? He seems to entirely miss the point of what's going on. Throughout the course of their time together, Jesus has been talking about his death and the meaning of all of this, gradually letting the disciples in on the bigger picture. And when we join them here on the mountain, this has all been coming to a head. Jesus is preparing them for what's next. So here they are at the climax of the story that Jesus has been revealing over several years, and Peter offers to build some little houses for Jesus and his glowing friends. He just has no idea what to do next, but he has this burning need to do something, anything. So this seems like a really weird response, but think about it. How often do we worry about planning and building and doing before we worry about simply sitting down and admiring the glory of God? I'll bet if the Rwanda team did return literally glowing, we would probably all just launch right into building new things like Peter did. It's such a huge and clear sign from God that it feels like surely you must have to do something right now and that you you should have some sort of monument to show for it. Peter's response here is a little reminiscent of the story of Mary and Martha, in which Martha is running around like a crazy person trying to prepare for Jesus' stay at their house while her sister is just sitting at Jesus' feet, hanging out with him. And taking in every word. God's glory is there for those who are willing to see it. Not just those of us heading to Africa next week. Even the demon in the healing story that comes immediately after the transfiguration narrative sees God's glory and responds with terror. And when we seek out and experience God's glory, let's take the time to sit back. And make sure our response is not one of building little houses we don't need before having sat in the presence of God. I am assuming that not too many of us in the room today have had literal mountaintop experiences that left us glowing like Moses. I'm not seeing too many veils out there this morning. And I don't know about you, but I've never physically seen Jesus standing in the room with me, let alone glowing and talking to dead prophets. But that doesn't mean that the glorious presence of God isn't here with us right now. God did not retreat and decide to leave us alone for a while. It's just that sometimes we're a little bit like Peter. Some of us more times than others. We're so busy trying to do for God that we forget to be with God. You hear me time and time again talking about how we need to live out lives that look like the gospel message, how we need to be reflections of Jesus in the world. There is nothing wrong with doing. Faith without action is a farce. But that doing has to come from a place of being, of just sitting and dwelling with God. Sunglasses are a good thing. The sun is powerful, and it can do serious damage to our eyes. So when we go out in the sun, we put on our sunglasses. Or at least we should. There's my health-conscious public service announcement for the day. Remember your sunscreen, too, ladies and gentlemen. 
One of the first things that went into my suitcase for next week, which nobody will be surprised to hear that I've been packing for several weeks now, was my travel sunglasses, immediately followed by sunscreen. But as helpful and as important as they are, sometimes it is completely inappropriate to wear sunglasses. My cousin Chalmer is a few years older than me, and I remember one time my sister and I were playing pool with him in our granddad's basement. I was around 14 at the time, so uh, he was old enough to be the cool older cousin who could drive and all that. And for some reason, probably because he thought it made him look cool, he insisted on wearing his sunglasses all the time, even in granddad's dimly lit basement while trying to play pool. We trounced him in that game of pool because he couldn't see what he was doing. I don't care how cool you look in your shades, if you wear them indoors, especially somewhere with low light, you're going to have trouble seeing things well. And nobody looks cool when they're tripping over the pool table. Sometimes, like Peter or Martha, we're so used to wearing the sunglasses of being busy and doing stuff that they keep us from seeing the glory of God, from sitting and dwelling in it. In a fast-paced world of shiny, blinky technology and constant media chatter, it's easy to forget altogether that God still shines in the world today. That God's glory is still all around us if we'll take off our dark glasses and see it. When we take off those sunglasses, the busyness, the noise, the patterns of sin in our lives, pride, self-doubt, unforgiveness, greed, the list can go on and on. We're able to grow more and be more attuned to seeing God in those moments. Some of us have many, many pairs of sunglasses on that have to be removed one at a time so that as each pair comes off, we can see God's glory just a little bit better. On Wednesday, we will gather together for our Ash Wednesday service to mark the beginning of Lent. Lent is more than simply giving up chocolate or soda or Facebook for a few weeks. It's about taking a serious look at ourselves to see what sunglasses we're wearing when we shouldn't be. We take these off by spending time in scripture, in prayer, by removing distractions from our lives, carving out daily time to read scripture, to pray, to listen, to seek the glory of God. This is all vital to our lives. And the church as a body, as a community, is not immune from any of this either, is not exempt from this. We must be active in the community, as we are, but we also must make prayer and worship a priority, or all that we are doing is building pointless little houses like Peter wanted to do. Our actions must be grounded in an awareness of the glory of God, the glory that was so powerful it made Moses glow. When our actions are grounded in an awareness of God's glory, As a favorite seminary professor of mine called it, bug-eyed wonder, we will glow. Probably not physically, although I won't begin to say what God will and will not do. But that's what marks a person or a church as different. It's the something different you hear people talk about. So as we sing How Great Thou Art this morning, I want you to think carefully about the words, especially in the first and second verses. This song is about seeing glory in the everyday things, the things that we take for granted. When is the last time you looked at the stars and just stopped to contemplate how incredible God is for having even thought of something like that? 
When is the last time that you stopped and just stared at a tree or a flower and thought about the creativity that it takes for something that amazing to even exist? Sometimes we tell kids that thunder is angels bowling in order to help alleviate their fear. But do we ever really hear it and and think, whoa, God is really big. When have you just stood still and let the breeze blow over you? Sometimes we want to mentally rush through the first couple verses of this hymn to get to the shouts of acclamation and the big giant stuff. But we have two whole verses, half of that hymn, dedicated to seeing God in the everyday around us. The breezes, the song of the birds, God's glory is everywhere, even here. So as we sing this, I want you to set aside all those blueprints you have for little houses. Take off your sunglasses and just consider the wonder and the glory of our God. Because how great God is. Amen.